If you have a Bible this morning, would you please turn with me to the book of Ephesians? Let's go to chapter 3. And we want to begin here in the first seven verses, but the mystery of the church. This morning it's part one. And I want you to be thinking this morning as we prepare to get into the study, when we speak about the mystery of the church, these mysteries were all around us for the longest time. And now this mystery that's been revealed to us, divinely revealed to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so as I was going over this study, I've been a Christian for many years, but I want you to think back, especially some of you that have been Christians for a time. But remember the first time you heard the rapture of the church. What are they talking about? You heard the seven years of tribulation. You heard the seven judgments of of sealed judgments that would be open. Uh, Seven trumpet judgments that would be blasted. And then seven bold judgments that would be poured out. Well, I didn't understand these things. And that Jesus died on the cross, I understood that. But that I'm washed in the blood of the Lamb. I had a hard concept with that. And that through Christ and through believing in him by faith, I come to this place of of the mystery of salvation, the mystery of grace, the mystery of the church. We often equated the church uh, to the building. Let's go to church, and the bigger the building, the bigger the steeple, the the louder the, the bell system. And we always assumed that that was church. But the mystery of the church is that you are the body of Christ. Paul tells the church at Corinth, know you not that you now are the temple of the Holy Spirit. I mean, in all reality, this building here blew up. God forbid that it would, but if it blew up or burned down, the church still goes on. You're the church. You're the body of Christ. And so these mysteries that have been revealed to Paul as he brings them to the Gentiles, These mysteries that have been unveiled to us now. I see Christ in a whole different perspective. And I see the body of Christ. I see how God can so easily get the Jew and the Gentile together. We spoke of that last week. It's by His precious blood, that that common denominator, that we both become Jew or Gentile. We become Christian, we become born again of the Holy Spirit because uh, through Christ, of the work at the cross. And again, to some, it's a mystery. And even here this morning, as we prepare to get into our study, maybe you've never accepted Christ. Maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you're just very religious or like the Jews, you were very much into the law. But have you come uh, to this salvation? This free gift of God. I couldn't understand the born-again experience. How is it that Jesus comes into my life? How is it that I need to be born again? What is that logic? And so we see so many mysteries. And yet now divinely revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. And literally the blinders have come down. And the ears have unstopped. And I hear the word of God now. And my heart's open. And I receive what God has for me. And as I read, as I study, and as I look. And you've heard the term. Sometimes like the words jump out of the pages. And, and it just it's for me. It's for you. 
And God wants to change us. He, he wants to transform us. And we just have to be open. I like what Paul tells the church at Rome. That little verse in, in chapter 9, verse 13. Those that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What a promise. How does that work? But by the power of God's Holy Spirit, we ask. And so we're going to see this this morning, this mystery of the church. And so I want to begin here in verse 1, Ephesians chapter 3. And I want you to read with me as we go through the seven verses. And I'm going to come back and make some commentary. But Paul begins here. For this reason I, Paul the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me, notice what he says, for you. He says, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery. And then he says, as I have briefly written already, he's already spoken of this. He says, by which when you read uh, you, or you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. What Paul had received now in this mystery. It was so open to him. In verse 5, which in the other ages was not made known to the sons of men. He's speaking about the Old Testament saints and even the Old Testament patriarchs. As it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and the prophets. And so now it's been given to men. They've been given as gifts and you're going to see that to the church. In verse 6 he says that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel message. I like that. Of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. And such beautiful words, but there needs to be application. The Bible says don't just be a hearer of the word, but be a doer also. And so if there's still a mystery in your heart, let the Holy Spirit reveal it to you now as you come to saving grace or sometimes even a rededication of your life. But I want to say a quick prayer. Father, I ask you as we begin to develop these seven verses that you would speak to our hearts in clarity, Lord. Speak to our hearts, especially if there's still mysteries that we're allowing uh, within us and we don't understand. Lord, set us free, even here this morning, that we would receive from you by faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's go back up to verse 1 now. Paul begins here. He's speaking about this mystery of the church, the mystery of the gospel. The mystery of grace, the mystery of salvation, there's so much sometimes. Paul said, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles. Paul understood his calling. Paul understood his position. But I want you to see the importance here. Paul calls himself a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Now, not to mistake, as Paul is writing this epistle from a Roman prison, but now Paul speaks of his position in Christ. And he declares himself a prisoner of Christ. Other passages, Paul says, I'm a bond slave of Jesus Christ. And so Paul understood this. When we think of terminologies in our own time, I don't want to be a prisoner to anything. I don't want to be a slave to anything. That's contrary to my nature. 
I mean, you go over here to Southern New Mexico uh, State Prison, and you ask these guys, do you want to be here? Is this your choice? No, I was caught. Go over here to Doña Ana Branch, uh, the, the prison that is, not the college. Go over here, and they say, ask them, do you want to be here? No, I got caught. But imagine now a Christian. Paul says, I'm a prisoner of Christ. We don't like the term slavery. It entails the things that we've studied in history. And so I don't want to equate myself as a slave. But yet I was in prison, listen, to sin. I was a slave to sin. But yet we don't see it. And so Paul comes to that place where he was a slave uh, to the Old Testament, the law. Paul was a prisoner to the Old Testament, the law, to the very letter. And now Paul can so beautifully say here, and this was a mystery that was revealed to him eventually. I, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. What a beautiful passage. And so we need to understand this place of being a prisoner. In the Greek, to be a prisoner of Christ, the word prison actually speaks of one that is, is found in bonds, one that is found in chains, one that is tied, listen, but to Christ. You see, we might have been tied to the world. But now as Christians, we should be tied to Christ. But always remember here that this was by choice. This was by choice. Now, uh, I did the drug scene. I did the alcohol scene. I did the perversion scene, and so did you. I did it by choice. Nobody forced me. I come to Christ now. It should be by choice. And so Paul has this call now. This call to the Gentiles, and he's understanding it, was a hard concept for him. Paul always wanted to go to the Jews, but the Jews always imprisoned him, always beat him, always left him for dead. And yet he would go to the Gentiles. The Gentiles received him openly, but Paul never gave up on his fellow men. In the book of Romans, chapter 11, verse 13, if you're taking notes, Paul says, I am the apostle of the Gentiles. He knew his call. He knew his place. In 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, verse 8, Paul says, I was the one born out of due time. Remember when Judas Iscariot had committed suicide? He went out and he hung himself. Well, the early church, the apostles that were left, there was 11. They wanted number 12. And so they cast lots. And the lot fell upon Matthias. And yet Paul the apostle was the one born out of due time or the one born out of due season. Man had chose Matthias, but God had appointed the call of the fourth apostle, I believe, to this Saul of Tarsus, Paul the apostle. But notice how this mystery even was unveiled in his heart and in his life. And now being called to the Gentiles, look at verse 2. If indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me, and I like this, for you. Paul says, for you Gentiles, for you church there at Ephesus. That's what I'm here for. And in all reality, God has revealed these things. He's unveiled these things for me uh, to teach you. And, and Paul was a, a student of the Word of God. And so notice in verse 2, Paul is saying, God has given me this dispensation, or better translated, this stewardship. Paul was called of stewardship for God, for the people. 
Another word for dispensation or stewardship is that Paul was made the manager. He was given this uh, position of the manager over the church as he would take the message out to the Gentiles. Paul was called. He was a supervisor in charge, if you may. And there was a lot of people that hated Paul. Paul was called an apostle. The one born out of due time. An apostle is a representative, is an ambassador for Christ. Now listen to Paul's credentials. Paul's call, Paul's stewardship, Paul's apostleship, if you may, was to represent Christ. And in that capacity, Paul was called uh, to be a witness for Christ. Paul was called to be an evangelist for Christ. Paul was called as a church planter for Christ. And so you can easily say that Paul wore many hats. But what about us? Well, that's your job, Pastor Bob and Pastor Jeff, Pastor Jay. Uh, that's what God's called you guys for. But that same grace that was given to Paul, that same grace is given to us. That same grace that was given uh, to Peter, James, John, and to Jude, and to all those in the New Testament. It's the same grace that's given to us. Now, as I shared earlier, you might never be in the pulpit. Maybe you'll never stand behind and give a Bible teaching or, or an exhortation, or you're not the evangelist. But God has saved you, and he's called you. And husbands, you've got a responsibility. The Bible says that we're the prophet, priest, king of the home. And so we have a responsibility to raise up our children, to raise up and nurture our wife. I took that to heart when I came to saving grace. You should care. You should be burdened in your heart. You shouldn't be satisfied that, oh, thank you, Lord, you saved me. What about your family? You have to receive that burden from the Lord, not just for those around you, but everybody. I'll tell you what, I still today, I, I walk into a restaurant. Yes, I'm there with my family. We're going to break bread together, but look around. Look at the people. You can see their faces. They're hurting. They're hurting just like we were hurting. And they need this gospel message. And in some cases, you're the only epistle that they'll ever see. And maybe just a quick prayer. Lord, open the door. I love to witness to the waitresses or the waiters that come by and just share little nuggets. Always writing little scripture as we, you know, pay for our bill. You'd be surprised. They come back and they ask you, what's this mean? And the door's open for the gospel. Don't be content that you're just going to receive this dispensation. Or you're going to receive this grace of God. But to give this grace of God to others. And Paul says, it was given to me for you. For you. Now when we speak of the grace of God, we understand that unmerited favor. But listen to this commentary. It really moved on my heart. He says, the message of grace was a sacred trust given to Paul in order that he might make it known among the Gentiles. That same given to me, to you. It, it was not given to Paul for him to, to keep or to hoard, but that he might give it out, particularly to the Gentiles. What has God given to us, church? If God's given you that grace, He's brought you into this mystery now, this mystery of salvation. 
that Jesus and the Holy Spirit tabernacles within you. Don't you want to share it with others? What has God given to me? What has God given to you? By his special grace, this unmerited favor, we deserve judgment. We know that. But God in his mercy and his grace, he has saved us. Share God's love with others. There's a dying and perverse generation. Share God's love, his grace, his mercy. Tell others. Tell them that God saved you. Tell them about your testimony. You know, I did this, I did that. God cleansed me. God purified me. The Bible says that we're lights in this dark world. Let our light so shine. In fact, the Bible says that Jesus is the light of the world. But when Jesus was ascending into heaven, he left it behind to us now. Oh, he's the light of the world still, but he's given us that place. You're that light. And we're not to hide that light under a bushel. Let it shine. Some of us, uh, sadly, but our secret agents. Some of us get the smallest Bible so that we can hide it in our pocket. Man, go get yourself a King James 90-pounder. <laughs> but let people know they're dying. They need Christ. Look at verse 3 now. We continue with this mystery. How that by revelation, speaking of this mystery, uh, he made known to me this mystery as I have briefly written to you already. Paul had already mentioned about this mystery back in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 9. That God revealed his mystery to me, personalized it. How did the Lord do this for Paul? says here by revelation, and the Greek word speaks of unveiling, manifestation, an appearance of Christ, if you may, to Paul in the time of the New Testament. If you go back into the book of Galatians in chapter 1, uh, Paul says, I went from Damascus and I went to Arabia, and then you study that for three years. I believe the Holy Spirit was desperately teaching Paul. And I believe in order to be one of the positions, in order for you to be an apostle, Paul says, I was the apostle born out of due season. In order to have that position, you had had to see the risen Christ. I believe in that three-year span in Arabia that not only the Holy Spirit was teaching Paul, but that Jesus himself, a Christophany there after his death, that Paul was witnessed to by Christ. This mystery... Now, listen to the word mystery. It's beautiful. We think of a mystery of a novel or a movie and such, but the Greek word here, uh, speaking of God's word to us and such, God's grace to us, this gospel message, this salvation message, but a mystery. A mystery is a secret of God. A mystery is the silence of God. I like this translation that Vine's Dictionary said. A mystery is the mouth of God shut. In other words, there's a time and a place, an appointed time when you heard the gospel and you listened and your heart was open. Some of you received Christ in this very church. Some of you received Christ in other churches. It could have been in a Sunday morning service like this. It could have been through the radio program. It could have been through a televangelized uh, you know, program. But God touches our hearts. There's a time and a place for you. There's a time and a place for me. I've shared this with some of you back uh, in our testimony. In 1976, uh, shows you how old I am, huh? 
I was a young man, and I was going to work, and I was happy. I mean, I was a Christian. I, I went to church like everybody else. Well, I didn't go as often as others. I went through Catholic school system for 12 years. I mean, what else do I need? But I had never really heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. In 1976, the Lord sent a brother to my workplace. And this brother just so beautifully starts sharing with me. And he says, Bob, you need to be born again. What is he talking about? So I'm his supervisor. I'm not supposed to be stupid, right? I'm supposed to know things. He says, Bob, do you understand scripture? I said, sure. What do you think I am, a heathen? He says, let me give you some scripture. And he wrote a few things down, and he gives me the paper. He says, go home and read it. Well, he must have seen my face or the Holy Spirit revealed to him. And he asked me, hey, Bob, you have a Bible, don't you? What do you mean do I have a Bible? Yes, I have a Bible. I lied right through my teeth. Good Catholic, right? And so that night, some of you don't know Jemco. I don't know if you know Jemco stores back in Southern California. Mary's going to go to the store, you know. And she says, do you want me to pick you up something? Usually a six-pack of beer or whatever. And I says, no, don't give me any beer today. Uh, but pick me up a Bible. She almost fell over. <laughs> what am I doing asking for a Bible? And I thank God. You know what she brought home? She brought home a living translation. And I began to read because my friend was challenging me. That was in 1976. I did not come to Saving Grace until three years later. But all of a sudden, God was challenging my heart. And what did I do? Guys, don't do this. What did I do? I went to the book of Revelation. What am I doing in the book of Revelation? I don't know, but I heard that's the end of the, the world. I want to know. I want to know who wins. I want to know if I'm there. And I'm reading this, and I thank God again for the living translation. There were things that were revealed to me, things that I understood. There were things that I did not understand. There was a few times I threw that Bible across the room. And my friend so beautifully encouraged me. Because I had tons of questions, and I kept asking questions, and he kept revealing answers to me, and I kept being challenged, and I kept looking at the Scriptures. But when the Holy Spirit came, it was time. And I came to saving grace. My wife came to saving grace. Paul says here in verse 3, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly already told you. Now, it took three years for that mystery to finally hit. Imagine when my friend said, Bob, you need to be born again. How can I be born again? I was just like Nicodemus. How can I go back into my mother's womb? You're missing the point, Bob. Spiritually, you need to be born again. But, but I've made all of my sacraments that I need to make. But are you a Christian? Are you born again of the Holy Spirit? I was thinking of Paul the Apostle. Prior to that, he was Saul of Tarsus. There in Acts chapter 9, as he was going with letters in hand uh, to the road to Damascus, something happened on that road. It was Paul's time. All the education that this man had in the Old Testament, uh, being raised in, you know, the Jewish faith, knowing the Torah inside out, knowing the five books of Moses, the, the Pentateuch, being part of the Sanhedrin, being a Pharisee of Pharisees. Paul still need to understand, you need to come to saving grace. Something was happening to Paul. 
Back in Acts chapter 7, he consented to the death of young Stephen, the first martyr of the New Testament church. Something happened. It affected Paul. Because the Bible says that Stephen looked up into heaven and he had the face of an angel. There was such a witness of this young man. It never left Paul. I believe it was stirring within his heart. Why did that kid smile? Why did he take us through uh, the book of the Old Testament? I knew all those passages. And then he shared that the Messiah was Christ. Oh, I consented to his death, but something's wrong. Something's bothering me. Uh, In the book of Acts chapter 9, when Paul was knocked down off of his animal, Paul says, is that you, Lord? God had gotten a hold of him. Is that you, Lord? How did Paul know to respond? Because the Spirit of God had already gotten a hold of him. And he was blinded. Here's this Saul of Tarsus, this mighty man of God. Uh, the Bible says that he was like a tyrant. He was like a bull. He was like the nostrils flaring back and forth. He wanted to bring Christians back. He would put them on trial, and some would even be consented to death as Stephen. But now he's like a puppy dog. Is that you, Lord? He recognized the power of God. He recognized the power of God. That Sunday morning, three years later, I didn't understand, but I recognized that there was a power. I know now it was the power of the Holy Spirit that touched me, that pricked my heart, that broke my heart. And we come to saving grace. And so Paul's giving this testimony now. And now he was called to take this message, this message of hope. Take it to others. Look at verse 4. By which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. He still keeps with that word mystery, this previously hidden truth, now divinely revealed by the Holy Spirit. The King James here in verse 4 actually says, whereby, when you read. The Greek is actually saying, when you refer back to them. This is speaking of the Gentiles. You may understand my knowledge. Listen to what Paul's saying. That you may see what God has given me to know concerning what has been hidden, a mystery, the calling of the Gentiles. To know Christ, our Messiah. You see, for Paul, this was difficult. To take this message, because salvation is to the Jew first. But now to take this message to those that were unheard of for him. Gentiles. If you know anything about the Pharisees, they kept away from Gentiles. Pharisees would pull in their their garments so it wouldn't rub up against a Gentile. Jesus was always nailing the Pharisees. Because they thought themselves so pure. So righteous. And yet Paul was one of them. And he had to be broken. Now to know this Christ, the Messiah, Paul had to come to brokenness. There in the road to Damascus. You have to come to that place of brokenness unless you're born again of the Holy Spirit already. But that's how we come to saving grace. Remember last week in our study that the wall of partition, that middle wall between Jew and Gentile, that middle wall that did not allow us to go into the Holy of Holies, that wall has to come down. We know that as we studied last week, that wall comes down and then Jesus himself washes us, Jew and Gentile, in the precious blood of the Lamb. That wall has to come down. That wall of pride, that wall of anger, 
that wall of sin and put your, your sin nature that was there. God has to destroy that once and for all. It could be the, the simplicity of the sin of gossip or the simplicity of the sin of lying. But God has to break down that wall. And here, and last week, he's been breaking down that wall of prejudice. Paul could have nothing to do with a Gentile. Peter could have nothing to do with a Gentile. And yet God saved these men. And Paul, you couldn't shut him up after this. To know the mystery of Christ. He's speaking of here, uh, this mystery of Christ now. This mystery of the church. The ecclesia uh, in the Greek, the called out ones. That's you and I this morning. The same condition for Jew and Gentile through Jesus Christ. Now listen to Paul's logic here. Paul spoke of his death, speaking of Christ, his burial, and his resurrection. We, the church, have life eternal, and in and through Christ Jesus, our salvation. That's for Jew and Gentile. Paul had to come to grips with that. It's no longer a mystery. The church no longer is a mystery. Salvation is no longer a mystery. All has been divinely revealed to us or unveiled to us by the power of God's Holy Spirit. That we're all the church, we're all the body of Christ, if we come to saving grace. Now, one of the things that was so precious in the early part of my walk is to see God break down the walls of prejudice. You know, we're so geared to look at color and to look at race and to look, you know, the ethnic background, the culture. And we just can't let go. The Jews can't let go. And sometimes we get so culturalized. And we need to let go, church. We need to let go and let God. Because God wants to do a work. And Paul saw the beauty of Jew and Gentile coming to saving grace. Peter struggled with it. When he goes to Cornelius' house there, a bunch of Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. And when God shows them, Peter, eat. Don't call common what I've cleansed. You don't know, Lord, those are unclean animals. Eat it, Peter. I always like to just, but can you imagine Peter biting into some ribs? Ooh, it's getting close to lunch. Look at verse 5 now. He said, Lord, where have these ribs been all my life, Lord? <laughs> verse 5 says, which in other ages. Now listen, he's going to be speaking about the Old Testament uh, saints and the Old Testament believers. He says, which in other ages was not made known uh, to the sons of men. Those were the saints during the time of the Old Testament. As it has now been revealed by the Spirit. Listen, uh, to the holy apostles and to the prophets. That's what we're, we're reading here this morning. As God's given to us now, we have the complete scriptures. What a beauty, what a joy. This mystery was not made known to men in past ages. Understand what he's saying here. In the Greek, in past generations. In other words, Old Testament saints. But it has now been revealed uh, to us in the New Testament by the Holy Spirit. It's been given to the apostles. Remember, what was an apostle? But an ambassador, a, a representative, a messenger of Christ, of God, and his prophets. Now, we understand the word or the gift of prophecy, and we understand prophets in the Old Testament. 
We understand Elijah. We understand Elisha. We understand Jeremiah. And so we see the prophets of God. And so we see the Old Testament. But the word prophet in the Greek, prophetis, it is one who speaks forth the truth of God, openly speaks forth the truth of God. What truth? What truth is he speaking of? The truth of God's word or the truth of God's message. Now, the Old Testament prophets, it's a whole different ballgame, were foretelling the events of God. So in the Old Testament saints, let me give you a prophecy. Moses goes up to, uh, Moses goes up to Pharaoh in the book of Exodus. And he gives forth a prophecy to Pharaoh. Let my people good. It was let my people go. It's a prophecy. And we know that Pharaoh hardened his heart. And we know that ten plagues came. But he gave forth the prophecy. And we know that eventually the prophecy came forth. It came forth for the children of Israel. It came forth even for the, uh, the children of Egypt. But they saw the prophecy. Remember when uh, the great exodus took place? The Egyptians said, give them money. Give them gold and silver. Just get them out of here. Ten plagues had just about wiped them out. Today when somebody says in the New Testament, that's what we're living. Thus saith the Lord. Now, let me encourage you here, church. Make sure it coincides with the word of God from Genesis to Revelation. Be careful when somebody says, thus saith the Lord. There's a lot of so-called prophets out there, thus saith the Lord. It has to coincide with the Word of God. There's no new revelation now. Oftentimes you'll hear of somebody, I received a new revelation of God. Did you really? Or I ask, which God? Small g? His first name is Lucifer. Where did you get that revelation of God you see if you come to me and you say God's spoken to you then let's find it in the word of God but when you come to me and then you say God has given me a new revelation he's made some changes now oh really here we have this intact book Genesis to Revelation and all of a sudden now you have a new version or you have a change and there's books out there and people add to the word people take away from the word of God Now imagine the Old Testament saints, the Old Testament prophets, they were pinning prophecies. Gentiles are going to get saved. Messiah is going to come. He's going to save Jew and Gentile. They were pinning it, but they're not understanding it. And so Paul comes into the picture, and Paul sees how it just all comes together. Now turn with me. Leave a marker there. You need to see this. Go to the book of Hebrews, and let's go to chapter 1. And again... This mystery that has now been divinely revealed to us by the power of God's Holy Spirit, Paul needed to understand this. It just all began to come together. When God gets a hold of you, it finally begins to come together. And as I study the Word, as you study the Word, as the Holy Spirit, listen, pricks your heart. Had a brother that was here in the first service, and he come up to me, and he says, Pastor Bob, I raised my hand about a month ago. I was serving the Lord for two weeks, and, and then I just went back into the world. But as he says, I'm coming back. The world does not, has nothing for me. I mean, he was scared. I said, praise the Lord. Just start coming back to church. Get into the Word of God. The enemy wants to take you back, and you'll go back 100 times worse. 
And so we need to get rooted and grounded in the Word of God. But look what the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. I believe that Paul's the writer of the book of Hebrews. Others say no, but let's just say that the Holy Spirit penned this. In verse 1, in the past, speaking of the Old Testament, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets. And notice how he describes it at many times and in various ways. In other words, the prophecies that we read uh, through Genesis uh, all the way to Malachi, the Old Testament. But look at the clarification in verse 2. But in these last days, and that has to equate to the last 2,000 years, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. See, there's people out there that just don't like the name of Jesus. Jesus is God. That's fighting words for some. You see, man doesn't have a problem believing in God. But when you say that Jesus is God, you've got a problem on your hand. Not your problem, it's their problem. Because, see, when they say they believe in God, that entails a multitude of gods, if you may. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man gets to the Father but through me. That limits a lot of people, doesn't it? Well, what about Muhammad? What about Confucius? What about Gandhi? And, and, you know, the list just goes on. All I can tell you is that Jesus died, rose again, and he sits at the right hand of the Father. And he makes intercession for me, for you. And I believe that by faith. You see, the resurrection is the key uh, to the church. But notice verse 2 again. But in the last days, the last 2,000 years, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made all the universe. This is through Christ. And this is a mystery for some. The calling of the Gentiles was made known by the prophets. In past ages, it spoke about it in the Old Testament by the prophets. And so Paul understood this. Paul says, now made known uh, by the Holy Spirit through the ministers of the New Testament. And who was he speaking of at this time? The ministers were Paul and Peter and James and Jude and John. But look at the ministers we've had in the last 2,000 years. In the book of Romans, in chapter 1, it says that the world, when judgment comes, will be without excuse. Well, nobody ever told me. What do you mean nobody ever told you? Especially in our United States of America. Wow, we have no excuse. We have Bibles. We have churches. We have commentaries. We have radio. We have television. I mean, where can we go? (laughs) The Word of God is there. That's what Peter said. Where can we go when you have the words, what, of eternal life? And so listen to this gospel that's been presented out there and now given to us by Christ. And notice that Paul says here in verse 2 that Jesus was there, uh, the creator of the universe. You go back to Genesis 1-1, Jesus is there. Now go back to Genesis 1-1, turn left, there's no writing. Jesus was still there. He always was and always will be fighting words for some. Nobody can say Jesus is Lord unless the power of the Holy Spirit is in you. 
You see, Jesus was just a good man to me. I mean, I believed he died on the cross, but I never accepted it. I did the rituals, the rites, the customs, the traditions. But then I had to come to saving grace, and so do you. Look at verse 6. Let's go back to our text now. And then he goes on that uh, the Gentiles should be a fellow heirs. And so here's this mystery. Salvation is not just to the Jew, but salvation to the Jew and to the Gentile. He says that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs, I like this, uh, of the same body, the body of Christ, and partakers of his promise in Christ Jesus. How? Through the gospel, the good news, this salvation message. And so Paul's speaking of this, here's this mystery, he says. The Gentiles have an equal share with the Jew in all the riches inherited by God's children. Both groups, Jew and Gentile, have believed, uh, have believed the good news, and both are part of the same body of Christ and enjoy together the promises of blessings through Christ Jesus. They are both, listen, Jew and Gentile, joint heirs with Christ. This is a gospel promise, church. Gentiles. To be joint heirs with the Jews. Now, we're the Gentiles, so we're blessed. But for a Jew, that's tough sometimes. They don't understand. And for many Jews still today, they're waiting for Messiah. My Bible says Messiah that they're going to receive is called Antichrist during the time of the tribulation. But this is the core here of that mystery which had been hidden from all ages and which was now made known uh, in the New Testament. And the apostle said, and the prophets, and more particularly, he says to Paul, this promise of Christ was given to Paul, and then Paul took it to everybody else. The promise made to Abraham extended to the Gentiles. And the apostles had largely proved that in the various epistles. Paul writes to the Romans, he writes to the Galatians, he's writing here uh, to the Ephesians, this same salvation message to Jew and Gentile. You see, Paul didn't want to keep it to himself. Peter didn't want to take it to the Gentiles, but the Lord showed him, hey, you got to take this out there. And I hope and I pray this morning that you never just hoard your salvation. And I hope you're taking it out there to somebody. And so we want to come to the conclusion, and we still have a lot to cover in verse 7, but let's go back to our text. Look at verse 7 now. Of which I became, he says, a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. I like this here. A simple translation that Paul is bringing forth here. God's grace. Remember we shared this special uh, favor of mighty power that's being this salvation message this gift of god paul says i have been given this wonderful privilege of serving him of serving christ by spreading this gospel of jesus christ this good news god made me a minister the greek word is very interesting here you've heard it in time past if you've been a christian long enough the greek word for minister is diakonos but if we look at a diakonos in the Greek, it speaks of a servant. It speaks of a deacon. It speaks of a pastor. It speaks of a teacher. It speaks of one that runs errands. It speaks of one that cleans tables. In other words, one that does the menial tasks. Paul considered himself a servant of the Lord. 
Paul was a tent maker by trade, and it didn't face him. He used to build tents during the day. He would preach at night. And so Paul saw the simplicity. But let's look at this word minister a little bit further. The Bible says here that Paul was made a minister. Now, that's interesting to me because Paul was a Pharisee. He was a good Pharisee. He was a very religious Pharisee. In fact, he called himself a Pharisee of Pharisees. In fact, Paul was pride of the, he says, I was of the tribe of Benjamin. I was circumcised on the eighth day, followed the law to the letter. And so Paul, now he says, I have been made a minister, a servant by God's gift. Paul was a gift from God, listen, to the church at Ephesus. Besides all the other churches in the New Testament that Paul planted, it's important that we see this. Paul never considered his office as something high, removing uh, him from other men. He always spoke of himself in humility. Go back to verse 1. Paul says, I'm a prisoner of Christ. Go to other passages. Paul says, I'm a bond slave of Christ. Paul knew his place now. He wasn't a big old Pharisee belonging to the Sanhedrin anymore. He'd been there. And God broke him. We're all, all equal in the eyes of God. And so Paul says, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me. And here's the key how Paul received it. By the effective working of his power. Of his power. The word in the Greek is dunamis. It's where we get our word dynamics. It's where we get our word dynamite. But God empowers us with his spirit. Vine's Dictionary says that the word dunamis can be described as something explosive. Something with, that gives you the ability now, the boldness, the mighty power, the miracle working power of God working in and through you. And this is a spiritual power. Now, this is not talking about going over to the local gym and bench pressing and working out and, and, you know, finally getting up to that weight that you want to press and push. And that's, that's for the physical. But he's talking about spiritual power. That power to have faith, listen, to move mountains. That power to have faith to be an effective witness for Christ to others. Husbands, that power for you to govern your family, that power to, to teach and to nurture your wife, that power to teach and to nurture your children. So important to see this power. Before Jesus ascends into heaven, listen, he leaves this beautiful message. And I want you to listen. Take notes if you haven't. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus said to the church as he's getting ready to depart, and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me uh, in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and, and to the ends of the earth. The purpose, listen, of the power of the Holy Spirit is to have this dynamic power to be an effective witness for Christ, to have this love of Christ now. And to have this boldness to share his love, his grace, his mercy to so many that are lost. Now let me give you just a little bit of a testimony here. 
Too many in the church believe and teach that the evidence of the power of the Holy Spirit is that you speak in tongues. My Bible teaches that the power, the evidence of the Holy Spirit is that this agape love is flowing in and through you. But so many of us look for the manifestation of this speaking in tongues. Because if I speak in tongues, then I must have arrived. You see, I struggled with that many, many years ago. My wife and I came to Saving Grace three years later after I had begun to study the Word of God. And not knowing, but mysteries were being unveiled to me. And so that Sunday morning when we come to Saving Grace... I mean, something happened. Something took place. Uh, you know, I can't explain it. Everybody has different renditions. Some people were crying. Some people passed out. Some people, nothing happens. And yet something happened, and that's the power of God. And so we were reading booklets. We were studying. We were looking into everything. And people were handing us stuff. My wife had gotten a hold of this little booklet, How to Receive the Baptism of the Holy Spirit. She's in the bedroom three days after. And she says this little prayer, and she starts speaking in tongues. She calls me into the room. She's crying. She says, what am I doing? I says, I don't know. I go to work, and I talk to my friend. And he says, Bob, that's a, a lot of teaching i got to give you. But that's one of the manifestations of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Well, you know, a man, right? My wife's speaking in tongues. I want to speak in tongues. And I couldn't. And I tried everything, church. I went on a pilgrimage after that. How dare my wife speak in tongues and not me? I went to every service possible. And I was looking for the evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you know what I'm talking about. I've been shaken. I've been spit at. I've been pushed. I've been, uh, you name it. And because I've always been big, they're trying to knock me down. And I just, my friend says, you Receive it by faith. And little did I know that God gave me many gifts. But we limit ourselves. And we think it's just this baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Let, let me share this. I learned through the years. The speaking of tongues is the least of the gifts. It's the least of the gifts. And, and if you do have the gift of tongues, praise God. It's a prayer language between you and the Lord. But so many of us, I mean, open your mouth and say, I, I got to buy a Honda. Say it fast. Say it quick. I tried all that. It doesn't work. All the antics of man. And I've been to, well, brother, you're not saved. Well, brother, the Holy Spirit's not there. And it damages you. And again, there's another mystery of the church. Little did I know and to, as the years progressed that there were so many gifts that God had given to me. Now, let's clarify this. Let's bring it to a conclusion. Turn to the book of Ephesians again. Uh, flip over a few pages. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. And here again, Paul says in verse 7 that we read earlier in, in chapter 3, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. And so Paul was a, a gift that was given to the other churches. And so this morning, in a sense, I'm a gift that's been given to this church. But listen, again, maybe you'll never be behind the pulpit. Maybe you'll never have a church, but you're a gift that God's given to your family. You're a gift that God's given to that workplace that nobody knows Christ. 
You're a gift that God's given to uh, that family that uh, maybe doesn't know Christ. And so listen to uh, this beautiful teaching here. Ephesians chapter 4, look at verse 7. And here Paul speaks about spiritual gifts for the church. Verse 7 says, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. How much grace do you want? How much grace do you need? I would suggest you ask for all the grace. God, whatever you have for me. Verse, verse 7, uh, or verse 8, now therefore, he says, and I like what Paul does here. He's quoting from Psalm 68, verse 18, and he begins to give us the psalm. When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. Listen. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. This speaks of Jesus. When he died, he went down and he preached to those in captivity. You need to study Luke chapter 16, the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And Jesus preached to those that were in Sheol. And then he took the church that was in paradise there in Abraham's bosom, and he took them with him. We studied that a little bit last week. Look at verse 10. He also descended, is also the one who uh, ascended far above all the heavens, that he might uh, fill all things or fulfill all things. And verses 11 and 12 is the gifts that God has for the church. And he himself, listen, he gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastor teachers. These are gifted men and gifted women given to the church, the body of Christ. It was the gifts given then. Paul was a gift. Peter was a gift. <laughs> You're a gift. I'm a gift. Silas. I mean... Timothy, gifts of God. Look at the life of Aquila and Priscilla. Priscilla was a gift of God, given to witness. Ladies, don't count yourselves out. And so he says here, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, uh, some evangelists, and some uh, pastor teachers. And then he says in verse 12, this is the purpose of these gifts to the church, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. I like that. What is the purpose of these gifts? Notice, it's not, the purpose of the gift is not to teach you uh, to speak in tongues. But it says here, to equip the church. That's what we're doing here this morning. And so the translation here, for the equipping of the saints, if you have a King James, for the perfecting of the saints, is to bring forth the complete furnishings. You see, church, that's why we're going through not only the, the New Testament on Sunday mornings, but now we're going through the Old Testament, uh, the book of Joshua. And we start and we go through there. We've done uh, the other books, the, the, the Pentateuch. I mean, it's so important to do that. And so we study the Word of God. And so he says here, for the perfecting of the saints or the complete furnishings, and then it says for the edifying of the body of Christ, the Greek says to build up of the body of Christ. Now, sometimes in the gospel message, uh, the, the Bible's going to tear down some walls. The Holy Spirit sometimes has to tear down those walls of pride and anger and so on down the line. And then builds up the body of Christ. When you exhort somebody, do it in love and compassion. 
And don't just exhort them and leave them to die. But build them back up. Listen, brother, listen, sister, you're doing this wrong. But let me encourage you. Man, get right with God and then fellowship. Get back into the program. As I shared with you, that brother that came to me says, Pastor Bob, I, I've been backsliding for the last couple of months, couple of weeks. And I said, that's okay. Get back into the program. Oh, you dirty, no good, rotten sinner. Don't be coming back to church no more. That's not what God does to you. He doesn't do that to me. But he loves you. He cherishes you. Remember the story of the prodigal son? When the prodigal son was coming back, the other brother was angry. You didn't kill a fatted calf for me, Dad. And when the prodigal son came, in the Greek, you have to catch it. He had squandered all his money. The last thing he was doing, he was eating with the pigs. Remember that? He said, my dad's servants eat better. And he went back home. The dad saw him. The Bible says that dad ran to him and that he kissed him all over the neck. He says he placed a kiss on him and he put a, a ring on him. Remember? The Greek is telling you that he kissed him over and over and over. When you see somebody that was lost, somebody that was gone, and they come back, you want to take them in the prodigal son. I'm not going to take you back. You squandered everything. No, no, no. That's the love of a dad. The son couldn't handle it. The other son. But dad saw him. He was once lost but now he's saved. And you see, that's how God works in our hearts, church. And he sends us gifts. He sends us men and women that share the gospel message. Paul himself was a mystery. How could this Jewish believer now, a, a, a Gentile believer, basically? But Paul came to saving grace. He was never the same.